Welcome to Sanford on Security, where each episode, American Security Council Foundation Senior Analyst Lawrence Sanford brings you the latest in national security news and events. Mr. Sanford served as a communications officer aboard a destroyer in the U.S. Pacific Fleet, followed by four years as an officer in the clandestine services of the CIA. If you would like to support the American Security Council Foundation, please visit www.ascf.us. Thanks so much, and have a great day. Good day. I'm Lawrence Sanford. I'm Senior Analyst with the American Security Council Foundation here in Florida. And with me today is Lieutenant General Patrick Hughes to discuss domestic intelligence. Uh, General Hughes has been involved with intelligence services since the 1970s. He was in the U.S. Army in Vietnam and then joined the intelligence end of the Army and worked his way up until he was finally the director of the Defense Intelligence Agency. So he's had a storied career. He's lived or been in 127 countries. He ex traveled extensively with the military, and now he basically lives here in Florida, also as I do. And we are here to discuss his article in The Intelligencer. The Intelligencer is a magazine put out by AFIO, the AFIO, A-F-I-O, the Association of Former Intelligence Officers. And he has, uh, the article is on domestic in intelligence and the, the challenges facing America from, as we know, we have external problems, but we also have domestic intelligence issues. And we have a vast array of different agencies solving the problems trying to solve the problems, and one of the thrusts of this article is that perhaps we need to reorganize to some extent so that there are better coordinations. But I will leave that up to General Hughes. And I guess the first thing I would ask General Hughes is to discuss basically just a quick background. You're from Montana, went to Montana University, the University of Montana, and... Yes, I'll be glad to mention a little bit about that. I grew up in a small town in Montana uh, near Bozeman and uh, went eventually to Montana State University. The University of Montana is our biggest rival. And uh, the Montana State University is located in Bozeman. And I graduated from there after um, being in the Army as an enlisted man for three years. I was a medic uh, during that period. And so in 1968, I became a commissioned officer and um, returned to Army service, mostly in Vietnam, with the infantry. Then in 1970, I became an intelligence officer, as you mentioned, sir. And <clears throat> during uh, the 19, period 1970 to 1999, I served in a variety of positions, including quite a few uh, what are referred to in the military as joint intelligence positions, where all the services or in a particular office, uh, along with uh, civilian intelligence services also. And, uh, and so in some cases, I uh, was able to get uh, very good experience, not only in the Army's intelligence structure, but in uh, that of the Air Force, the Navy, the Marine Corps, the Coast Guard, and the Central Intelligence Agency and other organizations. 
1999, I retired from the military and uh, became a consultant the next day for the intelligence community and uh, continued that work until 2003 when an important change in my life took place and led me to take an interest in domestic intelligence. I was asked to um, become the chief of the uh, intelligence element of the Department of Homeland Security, which was just starting out at that time in 2003, uh, working for Governor Secretary of Department of Home, Homeland Security, Tom Ridge. He's a wonderful guy, by the way, and I uh, think he had a great deal to do with uh, the early success of the Department of Homeland Security. Um, and certainly had a great deal to do with my work there. He was uh, both interested and helpful on every occasion. But, uh, my job was to start the intelligence element of DHS, uh, which is essentially to be uh, the head of domestic intelligence uh, for the United States outside of the Federal Bureau of Investigation. And uh, that, that may be an oversimplification because Many of the intelligence services do have an interest in or some involvement in uh, the intelligence requirements that uh, have begun to rise here in the United States among our population and, uh, and in our country itself. Um, and of course, most people are very familiar with 9-11 uh, and the bombings that took place in New York and Washington, D.C., and uh, led to the uh, idea of the Department of Homeland Security and, a, uh, as you mentioned, the, using the word restructuring, a change in the way our uh, internal security organizations were arrayed and, uh, and aligned under a single organizational structure. So my job, once again, was to start the intelligence uh, part of that structure. And I stayed there until 2005, uh, about a year and a half, uh, and then uh, once again returned to civilian work, but continued to do domestic intelligence-related work up until 2018 when I retired, finally. Uh, now I uh, write and uh, mentor and give talks about this topic and others. Uh, and General Hughes will be speaking tomorrow at AFIO in the, on Cape Canaveral chapter. And uh, his topic there will be on China. So he's a, a font of um, knowledge on many, many subjects. Getting back to your military career, what, what would you consider to be a most challenging assignment? Well, I think uh, uh, the G2 or the J2, the term we use in the military is... Uh, J-2 stands for the director or chief of intelligence of a joint organization. Uh, thus, the term J. If it was just Army, it would be called G-2. So in the J-2 of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, I was the J-2 there, and uh, working for General Charlie Koshvili uh, most of that time, and also working for two different secretaries of defense, um, and the last one being uh, Secretary Cohen uh, for quite a long time. So it was a very demanding job, uh, lots of activity in the world at that time, 
basically had to start at uh, 4 a.m. Uh, each day, every day, uh, beginning to prepare for uh, briefings, presentations, and declarations about uh, what was going on in the world and what your intelligence uh, opinion was about that. And then uh, work until 7 or 8 at night, uh, depending upon the conditions at the time, and try to get a little sleep and do it all over again the next day for two years in uh, considerable uh, stress and uh, pressure. So I, I'd have to say that being the J2 of JCS was the toughest. I, I don't want to diminish the idea of, uh, of doing intelligence work in the field. It was my good fortune to be an intelligence operative as a major uh, and also as a captain. So when I was younger, in those days, I uh, I was out in the field as a intelligence person, uh, having uh, agents and uh, collecting intelligence clandestinely and engaging in intelligence operations. I, I always make reference to that as an important uh, foundation for any intelligence officer to be able to say that they were uh, in the field at one time and did that work before rising as as many of them do to positions of management and uh, intelligence analysis, uh, which is a quieter but not necessarily any more demanding part of the profession. <clears throat> Those roles when you were doing actual intelligence work, did you run across the CIA recruiting the same assets that you were trying to recruit? <laughs> yes. Uh, sometimes we, we did have a little friction. Uh, between the organizations, but uh, actually, it, uh, organizationally, the friction was pretty intense between uh, Army intelligence, defense intelligence, and uh, the Central Intelligence Agency. But at the operating level, uh, the agents in the field, the chiefs of station, the, uh, the elements of action on the ground, we could usually iron that out. Not, not necessarily without some <laughs> difficulty, yeah. uh, some interaction that sometimes is pretty intense, pretty tough, but we almost always reached agreement uh, between ourselves uh, for the benefit of the country. So you were working out of an embassy then? No, I was working out of uh, other organizations, including uh, service in Vietnam for the CIA. Oh, I see. And, uh, and then in... Uh, out of the Pentagon and a variety of places in the world. Okay. So, in today's world, domestic intelligence, what do you view as the major threats it facing America domestically today? Well, I, it's a very interesting question, and it's, it's hard to give a simple answer. The, the idea of domestic security where all of us as citizens inside the country feel safe and uh, feel like the country itself is being preserved in, uh, in good order uh, and in the context of the rule of law is, I think, what we would all hope for and wish for. So any, anything that challenges those notions, anything that seems to go in, uh, in uh, some way against the rule of law or against the national uh, foundational values 
and ideals that we hold ourselves up to or which uh, threaten directly our national security or our security in, in communities and states and uh, no matter what level of organization or existence you might talk about, anything that threatens all of that is what we need uh, to have some kind of informational ability to understand and work against. And ideally, of course, we would try to uh, have none of those events ever happen. Uh, as history tells us all, we haven't succeeded at that. And uh, up to the present time, in fact, uh, I'll give you a couple of examples. A porous border, where uh, we, we don't know for sure uh, who it is that's coming into our country, and we don't know what their intent is for sure. And we have, in some cases, too many people coming into the United States who we not only don't know or don't understand, but uh, from places that we can imagine or, or uh, somehow believe they could be threatening to us. And so uh, that's a problem. Another example would be the espionage that goes on inside the United States from competitors. And that that's uh, not necessarily um, a military issue at all. It's, it's mostly uh, about business and economics. It's also about pure technology. It's about uh, advantage and uh, progress uh, ahead of another or uh, some kind of uh, a way to get uh, more power at the expense of the United States by stealing from us. So internal espionage is a serious issue. And maybe the last thing I'd mention is uh, obviously we have uh, divisive elements inside our country uh, for a variety of reasons, some of them very good reasons and understandable differences in political viewpoint and cultural viewpoint and, and ideal. My view is that uh, that's probably very American to have those kind of yes. differences. But when it becomes violent, when it threatens the good order and discipline of the place that events take place in, and when it threatens the idea of uh, personal, individual, group security inside our country, that's uh, unacceptable. And so we, we need to understand that better and we need to work against it. Uh, and I guess, I guess it's hard to talk about that without saying directly that the work of intelligence uh, doesn't necessarily fit in the American culture uh, to to verbalize that against American citizens. Yes. But the point we have come to is that it might be necessary to do more of that than we ever did in the past because we can see the results of not knowing what's going on in our country, what's coming toward us, or what individual person's intent is, whether they are a citizen or not. I think I'd add number four to your list of sure. things. And number four I would consider is cultural wars or awakeness, awokeness. The fact that if you go to a campus, you might be shouted out and the administration of the campuses do not defend you and do not punish those who are basically violating university standards. 
Well, that's part of the division within the country. Made reference to. Yeah. uh, You know, that's a. I think freedom of speech, freedom of uh, ideas, freedom of uh, uh, practice are good. They're inherently good. The issue is when they are unfairly, unjustly, illegally even promoted and practiced, and especially when they include violence, that's not good. It's unacceptable. Okay. So we're on the same page. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So... You suggested again in this article in the Intelligentsia that there be a reorganization. Could you sort of summarize the, the, what kind of reorganization? Because we have the FBI, we have Homeland Security, we have a whole bunch of different agencies. Yeah. Well, uh, therein lies the problem. <laughs> uh, I think the Federal Bureau of Investigation has always been the primary domestic intelligence organization, ostensibly uh, against crime, but also against espionage. Yes, for sure. Um, and, and that's still very valuable, very capable organization, and I, I don't want to in any way diminish the work of the FBI. But if you look at the holistic nature of our country and its place in the world, where, where we are so interconnected and interrelated to the larger global condition, and when you look at the nature of much of the activity that we wish would not be happening, it's not exactly what we would call crime internally. It's, it's a worrisome mixture of both uh, illegal or improper activity, violence, uh, dissension and division, a variety of difficulties, economic uh, liabilities and vulnerabilities, technology challenges. It's, it's a rich stew of many properties, and there's no single place, no single organization to deal with all of that. Instead, there are many. There yes. are several. It's, if the FBI were in charge of everything like that, which doesn't really make sense, but... If they were, that might be the answer. But my view is they aren't, and they probably cannot be, and still be the Federal Bureau of Investigation. So my argument is that we need to at least think about the possibility of taking the entire internal and foreign intelligence security structure and focusing it to a domestic application on behalf of the country and the work of intelligence. But also, after 9-11, the, the, the CIA, they formed a, a, a supervisory organization above the DCI, right? Yes. And so was, isn't that the no, same? No, no. Uh, it, it, it has, <laughs> I'm not sure if it should have been the same or could have been the same, but it never was the same. And the reason, uh, in part, was because they never had the imprimatur of the government to be the only, the central focus, the primary, the leading organization to deal with domestic intelligence. So would your proposed organization, would it have the FBI's domestic intelligence organization's report to it? Yes. Uh, Report to it is an interesting term. That doesn't mean there's a superior-subordinate relationship, but information 
that the Federal Bureau of Investigation develops, which has a nexus to domestic security and internal security of the United States, yes, that would be shared. Right now, it's hit and miss. And I just noticed in the papers that the, uh, the CIA is under some brouhaha because they've collected information on American citizens and their sweep of foreign intelligence and so forth. And so how would that play into this? Well, once again, that's the organization or the, um, the amalgam of organizations uh, has to have a set of rules and structure. A, um, it has to have the uh, confidence of both the government and the American people. You can't just uh, give some organization, no matter who it is, the CIA, the FBI, or anyone else, you can't just give them this mission without giving them a structure within the work. So my view is that's one of the things we're missing. We don't, we've never developed such a structure for domestic intelligence. I hate to, I hate to use a comparative comparison because it's kind of like uh, comparing apples and kumquats. But uh, the kumquat, in this case, would be Great Britain, which has always had an external intelligence service, and it's always had an internal domestic intelligence service. The two are uh, interrelated, the two connect to each other, but their uh, rules, their policies, their activities, and their missions are different. And they, they have to sort That's things MI6 out. That's MI6 and MI5. MI6 and MI5. MI5 being the domestic Domest organization, MI6 being the foreign intelligence organization. But that, I'm not saying that's a pattern the United States must follow or should follow or, or even will follow. Yeah. I'm basically saying that that's at least a pattern we could look at. And we could ask ourselves the question, why did they choose that pattern? And other countries have a similar arrangement. Yes, Soviet Union, I think, basically had the GRU and yeah, the, but many Western countries do also. Do also, yeah. And they're the the police organizations are one thing, and criminal intelligence is one thing. But now we're talking about a much broader assortment of conditions, threats, uh, ideas, and and possibilities that have to be examined collectively. So, for example, the New York City Police Department has a vast intelligence operation. They so, do. again, their information would funnel into this? Yes, it would. Does it do it? Does it funnel its information now into anywhere? No. Okay. That's a huge issue. Yeah. Uh, and it's the same for all major cities. They almost all have intelligence organizations, but their information is because of the nature of domestic intelligence is viewed to be uh, local, personal, uh, affects their community, it affects their territorial imperative, which is usually counties or maybe even parts of a state or the state itself. And it does not meet, uh, on from their vantage point, it does not meet the uh, test of becoming federal information for the greater good. 
Yeah, I would think, uh, based on my limited TV watching of uh, <laughs> police stories, the typical police department is not on that great of terms with the FBI as far as, far as relationships are well, concerned, I, but that might be Hollywood. So. I think that's a more Hollywood, Hollywood than not, but on the other hand, there are tensions between most federal organizations and, and the local. state and local. And how do you, I mean, where does the information on the cartels, I mean, the cartels pose a national threat, yet they're local and they... they, they we do have regional intelligence centers and every state now has a joint terrorism task force and other, uh, there are other uh, sub-organizational elements that where they seek to combine and bring in uh, all forms of intelligence from every level. However, the, there is no central organization to manage all of that. So you have the regionals, but no na no national. No national. Oh, I see. Okay. So the cartels bring up the issue of drugs, which affect national security. We had a hundred thousand Americans die last year of drug overdoses. They're pouring in over the poorest border. So what do we do about it? An organization can't do it. It's got to be an organization that has action. Well, there, there's two pieces to every uh, problem like this. One is uh, knowing about it, understanding it, and the second one is doing something about it. So I'm, I'm talking about knowing about it and understanding it. I'm not talking about doing something about it. But that, of course, is a follow-on issue. And let's suppose for a moment that, uh, let's use an example, uh, we know that people coming across the border, doesn't matter which border, or what part of it, or anything else, I don't want to get a, you know politicized here, but people coming across the border, some of them uh, don't fit the local territorial identity we would expect. They may come from the Middle East or Asia or some other part of the world. Why? What, are the, what is their intent? What has motivated them to come here? And at, the easy answer is they're just like everybody else. They're economic uh, migrants. They're looking for opportunity in America. And they come here because this is a better place than anywhere they have been. That's all possibly true. Yes. But there may be deeper reasons and, and greater problems beneath the surface. We should find out about those. And there should be a repository or a, a federal database that database is one thing. There should also be a set of analysts and a set of administrators and managers who understand the problems these people present and what threat might exist. And then that can be handed off to action agents, policymakers, and leaders. And then, of course, you can pass this information on, and it's up to the leaders to do something about it. Yes, unfortunately, uh, there's no other answer. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Civilian control. Well, General, I appreciate your comments. Uh, the American Security Council Foundation here in Florida, is mission is uh, to engage and educate Americans on issues of the national security, economic security, and moral leadership. I think you covered what our mission is. So uh, I appreciate your time. 
You can look us up on the website is www.ascf, American Security Council Foundation, dot U.S. Donations are always welcome. Uh, thank you again. Thank you. Okay. I appreciate the okay. opportunity. Yeah, thanks. Thanks very much.